Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I don't want to rehearse what we've done already, but sowing and reaping is an eternal principle locked in God by which He chooses to function. Chooses to function by cause and effect. If you do this, that will be the result. If you sow this, you will reap that. It's embedded within all of creation. So long as there's a remaining earth, so long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest time, sowing and reaping, day and night, summer and winter, will always persist, the scripture says. Later on, um, in the next few weeks, I will show you how broad the principle is applied in scripture and not only in reference to finances. Although we're dealing with under this heading of kingdom economics, I keep saying that the principles we teach are applicable to all of life and not just to the principle at hand or the topic at hand, okay? And um, what I want to address just quickly as a focus for the next few weeks is why do some people fail to enter harvest? Or why do we not see the benefits of the harvest from seeds previously sown? Okay? Why aren't you entering into your harvest? Why aren't you experiencing the harvest of any kind, not just financial? It could be a harvest of any kind for which you anticipate. So why, firstly, do not, why do, why is it that some people do not reap? Well, the simple answer is you do not sow. That's the plain answer. So you're not reaping because you are not sowing. So if you do not sow, you cannot reap. It is foolish to have an expectation regarding an outcome for which you have not plowed seeds or sown seeds. Okay? So I want to encourage you, hope or anticipation is always on the bedrock of how obedient you were to the principle. So if you obey the principle, you have legitimate grounds to express faith and hope for its, its associated or its commensurate outcome. Okay? So for example, if I show mercy to an offender, guess what? If I do that. So the Bible says, if you are merciful, you will receive mercy. So if I do that, that's a principle. I then have biblical grounds upon which to exercise faith. For whenever I need mercy, to have faith to receive it or hope or trust that that mercy will be meted out to me. You get exactly what you have sown. Right? If you do not sow, you cannot reap. Jesus said, you have not, or not Jesus, James in his book says, you have not because you ask not. I would Use the same principle by saying, you have not because you sow not. You have not because you sow not. Dr. Segi said years ago, nothing is a seed for nothing. Nothing is a seed 
Tell you about nothing is a seed. If you do nothing, that's a seed. Your nothingness is a seed that you are sowing, and the outcome of sowing nothing would be nothing. So nothing is a seed for nothing. Nothing is a seed for a harvest called nothing. I want to encourage you, and this is I'm trying to practice for my own life. In any area I seek to harvest, I must plan to sow. In any area I seek to harvest, I must plan to sow. He will have, would have friends, must show himself to be friendly. If you do not have friends, and let's say friendship is the absence of a harvest you have, what should be the associated seed? Well, sow friendship to reap friendship. You reap exactly what you, you sow. You reap exactly what you sow. If you want kindness, sow kindness. Okay? If you want to be invited out to supper, start inviting people to supper. God is not unfaithful. You will reap in the same area that you have sown. Okay? You will reap exactly what you have sown. Okay? So I want to encourage you, sow in the area that you choose to reap in. Second question is, why do some reap more than others? Why are some people enjoying the bumper harvest and yet others not? Well, the first reason is, you reap in direct proportion to what and how you have sown. Okay, this is very important. I know these are elementary things, but if we don't get a handle on the basics, you're going to lose the plot. You don't, if you don't master the basics, you're going to lose the principle. So, why do some reap more and others less? A very biblical reason is, those who reap more have sown more, and you're reaping less because you sow less. The, the, the text is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. It says this, now I say this, He who sows sparingly shall reap, also reap, also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. So sparingly or bountifully is conditional upon how you have sown. If you sow stingily or a little, you reap a little. It's a, there's, no real, there's no great revelation. Some of you are waiting for a great spiritual revelation. It's not coming. This is basic, basic, basic things. The basic thing is, if you want to reap more, sow more. The quality of your harvest and the quantity of your harvest will be directly dependent on the quality and quantity of your, of your seed. So I want to challenge us all, including myself. Whenever you plan to sow, start to incrementally sow more. Start to incrementally sow more. Remember it says um, in the, just go down to the next verse. He who supplies, this is 2 Corinthians 9, 10. He who supplies seed to the sower. Now, the sower here is the one who sows, right? Who supplies seed to the sower? Who's the he there? The Lord. God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So bread is what you eat and seed is what you sow. He will multiply what? He does not multiply bread. 
Bread and seed is referenced here, but what does he multiply? He multiplies seed for sowing because he knows in the seed is the bread. So you can live in a place where your capacity to sow more can increase. He multiplies, not bread, he provides bread, but he multiplies your sowing capacity. He multiplies seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your, of your righteousness. Okay? So to reap more, the simple thing is you need to, to sow more. If you go back to verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, the word sparingly here means stingily in the Greek. Okay? It's fed domenos in the Greek. He who sows fed domenos. It means he who sows with a stingy heart. It's not actually the amount that's referenced per se when you look at the Greek word. It's the attitude with which the guy is sowing. He's sowing miserly. He's sowing stingily. So if you're a stingy sower, you get a stingy crop. Simple mathematics. How you sow is how you, how you reap. The Greek word for bountifully is epi-eugoyas. It literally means bountifully according to God's blessing or intervention. I like this term. Bountifully according to God's blessing or intervention. Now, listen carefully. It means two things. Everyone say bountifully. You sow bountifully according to how God has blessed you. So the next verse will say, um, let each one give as God has prospered him. Okay? But the word literally means to sow or give with blessings. Everyone say with blessings. It's very important you get this. So when I sow, how must I sow? With blessings. Two things. You sow from a blessed position by virtue of God's intervention in your life. God has blessed you, but whenever you sow, the attitude with which you sow is to bless. You sow with blessings. God said to Abraham, I will bless you, and you shall be a, a blessing. You cannot be a blessing until you are blessed. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus that we know. Positional blessings must become practical realities. The attitude with which you give whenever you sow must be, I bless you. God does not love a, 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 a giver that gives by compulsion or coercion. Remember it says, right? When you give, give not grudgingly nor of necessity for God loves what? What kind of giver? A cheerful giver. So watch. The motive besides love, which I've spoken about extensively, when we give, it should be prompted by love. But the attitude that the giver must have is to bless. So your, your, your giving of finances becomes symptomatic of an attitude to bless the other. That's why the scripture says it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the attitude of blessing must always accompany the giver. To receive is a gift and is a blessing, right? So the giver must give with blessing, right? Money given to someone in the right spiritual attitude is, can be so powerful a spiritual thing. It equates to an expression of divine blessing upon that person. Right? 
don't see it as somebody gave me 10,000 rand as a blessing or someone gave us 4,000 rand. If it's given with blessing, there's a divine component to that thing. It's the signature of the hand of the Lord upon you. So tell your neighbor, give with blessing. I want to encourage you, start to practice this. When you give, don't just say, oh, yes, something for you, my brother. God bless you. With all conviction and seriousness in your heart, say to, let me use Jaden. Say to Jaden, this water, which I know you need very much now, brother. <laughs> I bless you. Say, I bless you. He says, I bless you. Receive the blessing, bro. <laughs> okay. I bless you. Giving must be done with blessing. That's the meaning of this word, bountifully. It does also denote much. It does, yes, have the connotation of much. But both sparingly and bountifully, when you really study them in the Greek, denote the attitude with which the giver gives. Not stingily, not uh, miserly, but with blessing. And if your attitude is to bless, generosity will govern that. Right? Generosity will, will, will govern that. Look at the same verse in the contemporary English version. It says, remember the saying, a few seeds make a small harvest, but lots of seeds make a big harvest. The Message Bible, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a... Lavish crop. Kind of crop you have in your life. Harvest of any type is literally a direct indication of how you've sown. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Listen carefully. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters and yet increases the more. Now how can you scatter... And you're not less off. You're not lessened by what you've given. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There's one who withholds, watch, what is justly due. In other words, you're withholding that which should be given. But you are withholding. It's amazing many people have a withholding spirit. A, a, a hoard it. And hoard, hoard and keep things. But it's not what is justly due or what should be justly given. And yet it results only in, in want. Now listen to the same verse in the New International Revised Version. Some give freely and get even richer. Others don't give what they should and get even poorer. The NLT says it beautifully. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The Message Bible, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Generosity, everyone say generosity. Bountiful giving must be characteristic of your life. The world of the bountiful giver gets bigger and bigger. It's amazing, eh? Um, that's why this must be understood with the spiritual mind because the carnal mind says, if I give, I am lessened by what I've given. The spiritual mind said, no, based upon this verse, if I scatter my seed, 
that process of giving has set me up for increase. It's a mindset, it's a mentality by which you have to view what, what you have uh, just done. But look at the next verse. We know this verse. Uh, he, the generous man, everyone say generous. Don't lose an opportunity to give. Don't lose it. You're setting yourself up for increase. That's not the motive by which you give. You just give because you love the people. You want to help them, right? But you are setting yourself up for, for, for the blessing of the Lord. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will be watered. When last have you watered somebody? Refreshed somebody? Okay? Later on in the series, I'll speak about almsgiving and how we should handle the poor. The Bible has much to say that, but it's an area we need to excel in. Again, the same verse in the New International Revised Version says, Anyone who gives a lot will succeed. Anyone who renews others will be renewed. The NLT, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The message, the one who blesses others will be abundantly blessed. Those who help others will get help. So why aren't you reaping as much as others? Perhaps you're not doing it like I said, firstly, with the right attitude. But secondly, increase the level of your generosity. Always err on the side of doing more or giving more than giving less. The generous principle in giving is, is fundamental. Ecclesiastes verse 11, and, verse 11, verse 1 and 2 says this. And I spoke to this verse intently the whole first six verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 11 in the weekend when we did the financial conference remember i'm not going to go to those principles if you want to learn them access them on the website but it says this cast your bread upon the surface of the water and you will find it after many days give or divide just put the new king james the word divide there means give everyone say give so give a serving to seven and also to eight for you do not know what evil will come upon thee, upon the earth. So it says, give, cast your bread upon the waters, right? Give to seven, and then it says, give to eight, because you don't, you don't know what evil will come upon the earth. I shared with you how that giving is God's immunity system for dark economic times that will befall the earth as the age closes. The motivation for giving in this verse is, you don't know what evil is coming upon the earth. So give to seven. Give to seven and give to eight can mean many things. But I also believe it means rather excel. Give to seven, but rather give to, to eight. Go beyond perfection. If seven represents perfection, go beyond perfection in how you give generously. Okay? So you are not reaping because you are not sowing. You are not reaping bountifully because you are sowing sparingly. And I want to encourage you to start to up your generosity by which you sow. Another reason why people do not come into harvest is because they become weary. And I spoke to this the last time I taught you two weeks ago. Galatians 6 verse 6 to 10. 
The one who is taught the word should share in all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also, that he will also reap. Verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And this I really want to encourage you with. Do not grow weary between seed time and harvest time. This verse indicates the possibility that you have sown and you stop doing good, which is sowing. You've stopped doing good for, because perhaps your anticipated harvest has not yet come. And the absence of the harvest, please hear me, I'm hearing the Spirit of the Lord here. The absence of the harvest makes you doubt the validity of the principle. And so you become weary. I want to encourage you, you need to learn patience and endurance. Any good farmer has got to have those two things. Once he's sown his seed, the waiting, the patience, the endurance until he sees his harvest. Do not become weary in well-doing for in due time. Remember, who remembers the Greek word for due? Due time you will reap. Idios, remember, means your own unique time. A time unique to you. When it's your time, it's your time. No human agency or satanic agency can stop the manifestation of God's harvest in something called my time. Tell someone my time. When your time comes, you will revel in that moment. Psalm 126 says you can sow in tears, but when you reap, ecstatic joy always accompanies harvest. I haven't seen anybody that is mourning in harvest. Joy comes up. You might have sown in tears, painful, costly, but so you did. But there will come a time where you reap with, you reap with joy. I want to go to this, this particular principle. We did it quite extensively the last time that I spoke to you. Now listen to me carefully. Repeat after me, do not be wary. Say, do not lose heart. Do not doubt the principle. I want to encourage you. You see, it's the enemy's intent to bring discouragement. There are still some harvests that we are waiting for. But we are banking on this. We were faithful. We were obedient. We did it with correct motivation, with love, with honor of the Lord and for people. And God will bring about the associated result in His time. But in the meantime, while we wait, we will continue to do good. And later on it says, especially to those, to all men, but especially to those which are of the household of, of faith. Continue to do good. Even the Bible says, trust in the Lord and do good. For so you will dwell in the, the land. While you're trusting in the Lord, consistently continue to do good. Then I want to encourage you, do not be wary. So how can you avoid weariness while waiting? Have faith and patience. Have sustained confidence in God. Do not allow the enemy to erode the assurance that you have in your heart that what God said he will do. I humbly believe God's word is inerrant. It's infallible. Right? There's no flaw in the word of the Lord. Eh? It's true from beginning to end. You can take it to the bank. Not so? Is his word credible? 
So I want to encourage you, if you've obeyed the principle and you don't see the commensurate outcome, don't start to doubt the, the principle. Usually I've discovered it's a test for you. It's a test of faith. I'll show you the scriptures in a moment. It's a test of how well and how solidly is your firm grip on the principle of God's word, which actually is an expression of faith in the God who gave the principle. Right? So we believe in sowing and reaping, but we don't have so much confidence in the principle as much as in the God who gave the principle. Right? So we have faith in God who gave the principle. As we obey the principle, we keep faith in God who instituted the, the principle. He is unchanging. He is unfailing. Keep your focus on the God who gave the principle. But while you wait, do not be discouraged and do not be sluggish. Keep on doing the good thing. Keep on doing the right thing. Keep on sowing. Keep on helping. Consistently be merciful and show kindness in your waiting period. This is a test from God. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 6. Just put it up. Or rather from verse 10 because of time. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says the following. God is not unjust as to forget your work, watch, and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. I love this verse. Listen carefully. Some people say, I like the text here, having ministered is past tense. Still ministering is present tense. God, sometimes you do something in the past and you think that what you've done in the past, God has forgotten. This verse says, He is not unjust. And here I am speaking as, as, uh, with such conviction as I am because I can sense an attack on the nature of God which I am protective over. He is faithful. Tell someone He is faithful. I want to endorse the nature of a true God. He is faithful. What He promised, He will do. Secondly, He is not unjust. He'll never promise you something based on a principle in His Word which you obey and you don't see the results of. We do not serve an unjust God. Lift your hands and say, you are just. Come on, tell Him. Say, you are just. You are just, God. You are, you are not unjust. Listen carefully. This text says, He is not unjust as to forget your work. You've labored. You've done the right thing. And you think, God, have you forgotten what I've done? Haven't you not seen God? This text, the writer of the Hebrews, has a revelation. God is not unjust to forget your love, your work. I like this. And the love which you have shown towards His name. How have you done that? In having ministered and still ministering. If ever there's a verse which I hold dear to my heart for, to encourage me to go on. Sometimes in your dull moments, when you're feeling depressed, I, pull, I actually pull it out to read it. I know it in my mind. I'll receive the text. This one in 2 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Be steadfast, right? So this verse says, I have ministered, watch. So having ministered 
and thinking that God has forgotten, still carry on ministering. Even though your mind is playing games with you. You have ministered, you still carry on ministering. Okay? Go back to Hebrews 6, verse 10. Verse 11 says, watch. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence. Everyone say diligence. Later on in the season, I'm going to speak about laziness. You mustn't be lazy. Sometimes people get no harvest because you're doing nothing. You're lazy. Tell someone, don't be lazy. Laziness is anti-kingdom. In fact, I'll show you clearly from the scriptures. It's actually a sin to waste a day. Hours upon hours, you're doing nothing. And you want harvest. It's only to the diligent that harvest and breakthrough comes. And that's a forthcoming attraction for later. Please don't miss that service. Okay. You know what? I, when I was preparing it, it's like 90% done. I'm just meditating on scriptures in my heart right now. Two or three weeks, we'll probably share that. The Lord literally shared this with me. There's going to be a grace download at that, at that session for new, not just a new work ethic, but new results attendant with work. Efforts are going to be crowned with the favor of the Lord. You're going to see that. Amen? But for now, don't waste the day. Right? Show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end. And then the next verse says, so that you will not be sluggish. Do not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience have inherited the promise. How do you inherit the promise? Through what? Through faith and patience. You've got to wait sometimes. But while you wait, do not be discouraged. And while you wait in the hope of the promise, do not lose two things, your diligence, and do not become sluggish. Do not become sluggish while you wait. Because God is not unjust to forget. Do you know, I want to remind you again, God does not forget. Did he forget Cornelius' offering? Acts chapter 10 verse 4. Acts chapter 10, verse 4. Cornelius was an Italian centurion, and he prayed much, and he gave alms, gifts to the poor. He also loved the Jewish nation. Being an Italian, he built them a synagogue, etc. He just found favor with the people of God, and he favored them. And he used his cloud to bless them. So, he had a vision. And in the vision, verse 4, and fixing his gaze on him, being much alarmed in the vision, he's scared. Because he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, the Lord said to him, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, a memorial is something causing or preserving the remembrance of a person or thing. Like the Nelson Mandela Memorial. When you go there and you see it, it reminds you of the person. The person will never be forgotten. That's the whole idea of any monument or memorial. Do not forget. Watch. This guy on the earth, watch. On the earth he gives. God has said to him, two things about you, how you pray and how you give, those two things up have established a memorial before me in the unseen world. Memorials physically are built on the, on the earth. You can see them. But there's something that can be erected in the spirit called a memorial, which from God's perspective, he says, it will never allow me 
to forget you. Because that's what memorials do. They don't allow you to forget. And there's something about fervent prayer. There's something about giving that erects itself as a perpetual reminder to God. So God will never, ever forget your labor of love. Um, Psalm 20 verse 1 to 3. Let me just, just go to this quickly. Psalm 20 verse 1 to 3. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Verse 2. May he send you help from his sanctuary and may he support you from out of Zion. You must please just go back to verse 2. Please remember this, this phrase. I may reference it in a moment depending on how the Lord leads us. He will support you from where? From Zion. Zion is the corporate church, not a local church. It's a corporate constitution of the church in a city. Support's going to come from that realm. And I'll share with you in a moment how that sometimes we don't enjoy harvest because we don't support or buy into the Zion corporate expression of the church in a city. Okay? Verse 3, watch. May he remember all of your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. So the other psalmist prays that God, may he remember your offerings. We're going to pray in a moment towards the end of the service that God will remember, although he doesn't forget, but sometimes faith in prayer agrees with his word as you, as you say certain things to him that activate things in the realm of the spirit. Remember Jonathan? was David's bosom pal. They were best friends. But Jonathan's father, Saul, wanted to kill David. Many times, Jonathan used his friendship with David to protect David from the attempts of his demon-possessed father to kill David. Okay? They were bosom friends. Unfortunately, Jonathan died in a battle supporting his father, Saul, a battle he should not have been part of in the, in the first place. When King Saul dies and Jonathan die in battle and David comes into his kingship, he says this. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. He's king now. And he says, David says, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I might show kindness for whose sake? For Jonathan's sake. And who was Jonathan's son to whom David showed this kindness? Who was he? What was his name? Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, that came into a harvest of kindness because of seeds his father Jonathan sowed. Right? Watch. Uh, two things I want, I want to challenge you with. Your kids sometimes will come into the harvest of some of the seeds you have sown. They will come into blessedness because of the acts of righteousness and of right doing that you do in your time. That I believe to be a firm biblical position. And we have sufficient biblical case for it. So I want to encourage your parents so good seed in your attitude, in relationships, even financially, in all expressions of your life. So good seeds so that at least when your children start 
They will start their seed sowing from the basis of your harvest and not from their own initiative. A son can come into the harvest of his father and move off from that principle. Um, Mephibosheth comes into kindness. Remember he was lame. When he was a boy and he was, uh, he, the, the, the midwife fled uh, because there was a war going on. And she, she, he was born and while she fled, she dropped him. Uh, but, but, but pure accident. So he became lame in both feet and he grows up as a man unable to walk. Now David says, is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I might show kindness to him for? Jonathan's sake, and they bring lame Mephibosheth. David says to him, you will be my son, and you will sit at my table every day for the rest of your life. You will dine with me. And I love what Dr. Segi said. He said, when Mephibosheth sits at David's table, you don't notice his deformity. The table of David, he sits an equal amongst all the sons. And the kindness of David covers his deficiency, covers his deformity. Listen carefully. God never forgot the kindness of Jonathan to David. Tell you never, God never forgets. I believe he never forgets even to the extent that if, not in your time, then definitely in the lifetime of your kids, some of the seeds you have sown, they will come into the benefits of. But one thing I do know, God will not forget your kindness. God will not forget your kindness. I won't go to the accounts later on. You, if you're taking notes in 2 Samuel 21.7, the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath of the Lord which was between them and David and Saul's son Jonathan. In a time where the, the Gibeonites wanted to kill all remaining descendants, anybody associated with Saul, right? And they wanted them hung openly because of, of certain things he did to them in their time. They all died except Mephibosheth. He was spared from calamity. And where do you trace this back to? The kindness of Jonathan shown to King David, I want to remind you, because some of you are getting wary, God never forgets. God is always looking. And you might even forget some of the good things you've done, but there are records in heaven that don't allow God to forget. And I want to encourage you, be faithful, be consistent, because the Lord your God will honor you and your kids in their time. Now, while I was busy with this, the Lord reminded me, and I just slotted this into my notes. Your gift speaks even when you don't speak or cannot speak. Your gift speaks. It is said of Abel, for example. Um, I think it's Hebrews, what, 11, 4? I don't have the text here. Yeah. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. Jeremy spoke about righteousness. God testifying about what? About his gifts. And through faith, he is dead, but he is still, he is still speaking. One interpretation of this verse is that what he gave speaks on his behalf. Even though his brother slew him, 
but his gift and the act of his gift as an expression of his righteousness, even today, he's still speaking on his behalf. Though he's dead, yet what he did by faith and he offered, he's still speaking on his behalf. Remember Dr. Segi, I remember he, he referenced when Abraham walked up the mount with Isaac, his son, to kill him on mount, the top of Mount Moriah. Remember that incident? What did Isaac ask? I see the wood, I see the, the fire, but where is the, where is the sacrifice? He was to be the sacrifice. He was to be the seed, right? And so what do you do when your gift, when your seed is talking back at you? Have you been there sometimes? Your seed says, how is this going to work out this time of the month? Your seed is talking back at you. Well, how is this going to pan out? Whenever that which is to be given speaks back at the giver, the giver must remind the gift. What did Abraham say? God himself will provide. I like the King James. God will provide himself. It's not that he will provide. He will give himself as provision in this whole equation. I want to challenge you again. Tell someone, repeat after me. Whenever the gift speaks back at the giver, the giver must remind the gift, God will provide. Yes, Isaac, the gift, talking back at Abraham, the giver, and challenging him. Hey, I see this whole thing, but something's missing. How is, where's the sacrifice? Okay, we all know that he knew that he was to be the gift. But the position of Abram is that God himself will provide. I'm making the point that your gift speaks. Do not allow your gift to speak negativity. Do not allow your gift to speak discouragement. Do not allow your gift to, to, to speak disobedience to you. How will this work out? You remind your gift. And whenever you remind your gift, your gift has a new capacity to, to speak to God on your behalf for the outcome of your obedience. We all know when he went to the top, he was about to kill Isaac, but God said, do not, do not kill the boy. I've known what's in your heart. Now I see what's in your heart. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. Isaac, in his time, sowed in a famine and in the same year reaped, reaped a hundredfold. Do you sow seed in famine? Yes or no? No. It's not wise to sow because you're going to waste your seed. But Isaac sows seed in famine because he himself became the embodiment of the seed when he laid his life on the altar. So I want to encourage you. Your seed has got power and it will speak to defiant, contrary natural conditions in your world like famine, that say to you, you should not be doing this, but you become the embodiment of the principle, and you sow nevertheless, and you attain the God-given outcome. Repeat after me, your gift speaks. Now, another example of this, where am I in my notes? Is Dorcas, Acts 9, verse 39. I, Dorcas is a fantastic personality in the book of Acts. Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they brought into him in the upper room, and all the, win the widows stood beside him. 
weeping and showing him all the tunics and the garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with him. By the way, she's dead, right? The widows gathering around Peter, he's God's man of hour, of power for the hour. He must perform a miracle here and raise her from the dead. Okay? So what do the widows show Peter? They show Peter all the garments and the tunics that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Apparently, if you do a little study on Dorcas, she was a weaver of garments and tunics, and she blessed people with it. She was a great giver, and she blessed. Now she's dead, and she cannot speak. But what she did while she was alive, he's going to talk for her. Got no voice, but the woman present her gifts to Peter. The next verse. Peter sent them out, and he knelt down, and he prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. These women did not have to present what the lady did, but they felt it necessary. Peter, before you come and pray, look at the quality of these garments. Look at the heart. Look at the love put in. Look at the workmanship, Peter. Look at what Dorcas has done. And I just believe her gifts, what she did, spoke for her when she could not speak for herself. It welled up something in Peter, I believe. I believe Peter was thinking like this. Such grace cannot exit the earth now. Such a heart, it's not time to depart now. Listen carefully. Everyone say extension of life. There was an extension of Dorcas's life based upon her good deeds. Based upon what she has sown. I don't know who I'm encouraging this morning, but the Lord says to you, do not stop doing what you are doing. Carry on doing it because when you do not have a voice, your works will speak for you on your behalf. Your seed, your gift, your works will talk for you when you cannot speak at all. Another example, just quickly, a few more. Ruth sowed abundantly to Naomi the item she gleaned from the field. And every day she came back and she gave Naomi the gleanings from the day. Ruth is a spiritual son, based upon Ruth 4.15. That will make Naomi a spiritual father. And so she's gracious in how she financially and materially honors her father in Christ. When I taught the Ruth series, by the way, there's a short, shorter version of the Ruth series on my website, just in five sessions. I taught at Port Alfred, four chapters, how the whole book is a synopsis of the father-son wine scheme. It's not mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, because Ruth is depicted as a son, making Naomi a father. So do you think, um, and the gleanings were anything from three to four months, right? Because the Bible says she gleaned from the barley harvest to the end of the wheat harvest. Barley harvest in the first month, wheat harvest in the third month. So that gleaning process took anywhere from three to four months. It's hard every day going in the sun. And gleaning, right? And, and after the reapers and taking it back to ensure your mother-in-law and yourself have food for the day. Hard work, right? And maybe nobody notices. 
Maybe nobody is seeing. No one's observing. But for those of you that remember the book, who does Boaz represent in the book? Christ. Who does Ruth marry? Boaz. Ruth is the son. Naomi is the spiritual father. Although I'm your spiritual father, the role of a spiritual father is to lead you, Ruth the son, into intimacy with Christ. That relationship produces Obed that will change the history of the, of the course of hum- humanity forever. Right? So she's very faithful. And check what happens when this news comes to Boaz. Ruth 2.11. Watch. Boaz replied to Ruth, All that you have done, watch for your mother-in-law, after the death of your husband, has been fully reported to me. Repeat after me. Fully reported to me. I'm getting somewhere. Say it again. Fully reported to me. Who is he in the narrative? He is Christ. All that the Son does is fully reported to Christ. Boaz. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, Moab, and you came to a people that you have not previously known. Listen, I want to declare, and and as I waited upon the Lord, this wasn't my focus today. The Lord just gave me a rechange of this last night. I was going to speak of something completely different here. The Lord said to me, remind the people, I have not forgotten. Their works will speak for them where they cannot. Do not become weary. Still practice generosity. I have not forgotten. You've ministered, still carry on ministering. Don't become sluggish. Don't lax in your diligence. Keep the faith. Keep the impetus. Have faith. Have patience for the, for the intended outcome. And the Lord reminded me of this verse. Because I'm also waiting for a specific harvest. And the Lord said to me, by the way, Randolph, what you have done in your faithfulness has been fully reported to me. Like a memorial that has come up to the heavens. I have not forgotten it. Even sometimes, though you, by your lack of faith, sometimes your doubt, you tend to forget. But the Lord has not forgotten. You see, there are reports in the heavenlies. Amen? And I say this by faith for many of you in this house. The Lord is looking at your report. Even now, He's looking at the faithfulness, looking at the diligence, and He has not forgotten. And remember what he said to her, if you know the story after this. He said, now, don't just glean in the corners of the field. Go directly behind the reapers and glean after them. And instructed the reapers to leave more for this girl. (laughs) Remember, leave more for her. While he had his eye on her, we know the story, right? (laughs) He's saying, leave more for this girl and nobody touch her. Immunity, protection, salvation. Provision, all from what? Acts of sowing kindness that Ruth had towards Naomi. And she would eventually marry Boaz. And she would begin one day to own the field that she once begged in. Ruth's elevation was, her trajectory was rapid. But there was a season where it was just three, four months of doing every day. Cleaning, going back to Naomi's house. Every day doing the same thing, and the Lord reminded her through Boaz, what you have done 
has been fully reported to me. Amen. Just bump your neighbor and say, your report is on the Lord's table. Hallelujah. God has not forgotten what you have done even towards his name. Remember Jacob's gift to Esau. They were estranged. He spent the night on the mount. Uh, what was it? Peniel. The face of God. I've seen the face of God. Remember? He wrestled with the angel there with the Lord. And he came down to reconcile with his estranged brother Esau, who full of hatred, a whole army he had to kill his brother. What did Jacob do? What did he send ahead of him? He sent gifts. The gift spoke to him, his brother first, before he could speak to his brother. It's not bribery. Sometimes when something is done out of purity of heart, there's something called a peace offering. Where your intention is, I want to make peace. So I give you an offering. That thing talks, brother. Telling them your gift talks. <laughs> Telling you. They say money talks. You hear the phrase money talks. It speaks a language. It, it gives off communication. I'm thinking of Abigail also. Remember Abigail? Did not Abigail placate the anger of David? When her husband, the fool, what is his name? Nabal. His name means fool. Nabal. That's why he says he's a fool. Did not want to treat David kindly. And David said, I'm taking this man out. What did she do? She stepped in and she gave gifts to David. Right? And he said, you have saved much today by what you've given. Right? Tell someone your gift speaks. It speaks to God and it speaks to men. Uh, remember the woman with the alabaster jar? Broke the jar. And what does it say? The perfume filled the house. The act of giving was, became characteristic of the house where she was. I want to encourage you, your giving must perfume the house. Uh, it, must, it must have a fragrance. By the way, gifts do have fragrances before men and even before God. Philippians 4, just quickly go there. I don't have it in my notes, but Philippians 4. You yourselves know Philippians at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia. No church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessal Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Gift for my needs. He's talking to a whole city. Co a company of churches in a whole city sent gifts by one man, Epaphroditus, to supply his needs. Not that I seek a gift itself, but I seek for profit which increases to your account. I have received everything, watch, that you gave. I have received it in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Paul is saying I'm well stacked. Our language, right? I have no needs. By virtue, watch, your gift has amply supplied my needs. Having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. But listen to how Paul described the gift. What you sent is a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to who? Paul is saying, you gave me on the earth, practically and horizontally, 
from a whole city to an apostle. You gave me. But Paul says, something went up to God. Something went up to God. Your gift produced an aroma. And this welled up to God. It hit the nostrils of God. And to Him, it was a pleasant sacrifice. Well-pleasing to God. And you know the next verse, the classic. And my God will supply your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The giving of the Philippian church produced a worshipful incense, an aroma that activated God in terms of His providence and providing capacity to a whole city, the Philippi, the church at Philippi. I want to encourage you, think worshipfully when you give. When you think of incense, don't you think of worship? Something welling up before God, right? So if I give my, my tithe or my first fruit to Pastor Thamo, I practice this. I'm honoring my Father in Christ, and I give Him. That's lateral. But before God, this gift has come up as a worshipful incense and aroma. The gift speaks in corridors where your voice is silent. The voice speaks in realms where you cannot speak. Your voice, your gift has a voice. Let your voice, the voice of your gift, speak positive things for you. And when your gift talks back at you and tries to contradict your faith, to obey it, like Abraham, remind your gift, Isaac, God himself will, God himself will provide. Do not be discouraged between seed time and, and harvest time. You know, as I'm thinking, of, there's another verse. Remember in the book of Proverbs, the virtuous woman? What does it say about her works? Where do her works praise her? At the gates. Where does her husband sit? At the gates. So it says, the works of this woman, which is a picture of the church. Woman is a picture of the church in the text. They praise her where she is not because only men sit at the gates. Women were not. But she gets accolades in places she's forbidden to go based upon her disposition, based upon the works that she has done. I really want to encourage you, be faithful. Be hardworking. You have no idea what your deeds of kindness can do for you in times when you need breakthrough. I want to encourage you, God does not forget. Say it with me, God does not forget. God does not forget these things. He does not forget your acts of kindness. Keep on doing the right thing. Sow seeds of kindness. Sow seeds of goodness. Keep on sowing financially. The Lord does not forget. These things come up as memorials before Him. Amen. Lift your hands. Let's pray. Remember Psalm, rather was it Proverbs 18, 16? A man's gift makes room for him. Your gift makes room for you. Not you. What you've done will speak on your behalf and it will make room for you. And the Bible says it will bring you before great men what you've done. Your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray that as we've heard your word, we ask that you'd keep us diligent, disciplined, not sluggish, that we might copy those who through faith and patience, as your word declares, they come to inherit the promises. Help us not to be discouraged and weary in well-doing. For in due season, 
we will reap if we do not faint. Thank you that our gifts speak on our behalf. Father, I ask you, even now, hear the report of the giving of your sons. Hear it, God. I ask you in Jesus' name. I want to activate this process. I know you never forget. Because you are faithful. We will not err in doubting your integrity. You are true. You are good. You are just. You are not unjust as to forget our faithfulness. How we've ministered and we still do minister. Father, in Jesus' name, come on, lift your hand. We're going to activate something. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, I ask, remember the seeds sown financially and ministerially, deeds of kindness, mercy, forgiveness meted out, support, honor, favor, any kind of seed that your sons have sown to you. I ask a favor, Father. I want to ask a special favor for us. Remember us and remember what we have sown. Remember the deeds of kindness. Like Dorcas, whose garment spoke for her, we ask, let our gifts, let our giving, let our good works speak right now in the corridors of the heavens, in the unseen world. We ask you, Lord, to remember and to send help from your sanctuary. You will not forget our offerings. Thank you that it is due time. We've said this two weeks ago. It is due time. And we will reap in due season if we faint not. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Brings forth fruit in his season. And whatever he does will prosper. I thank you, Father. I bless your people with grace. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you, church. May the Lord bless you. And keep you. May the Lord prosper you. May only good befall you all the days of your life. May increase, growth, and enlargement be your portion. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.